Hey everyone, this is Kave. Just a little heads up about this episode. Uh, we actually went to see Jesus Christ Superstar back in November of 2021, but the plan was always to release it around Easter. So Lindsay is on this episode. Um, she's not back yet. She's still on her break. Uh, but of course, I'll be back with Angie the following episode and continue on as we have been doing thus far in 2022. All right, guys, enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome to the Musical Splaining Podcast. I am your host and Persian New Year lover, Kava Taharian. And I have risen from the dead after three days, Lindsay Ellis. <laughs> Today we are joined by a very special guest, Emily St. James, critic at large at Vox.com and showrunner slash writer of Arden, which is a podcast. Yes. Thank you for joining us, Emily. I am so glad to be here. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the Easter beagle. That's what I am. Yeah. Easter beagle. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad we're seeing this production, which we uh, had to record in November <laughs> in order to release in April. Uh, you could but, say that the podcast yeah. is being resurrected many months later. Well, listen, yeah. I think November is Canadian Easter, so I think we're fine. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's Easter in like Iceland or some non-extradition country. But yeah, this is like the only good thing that came out of the pandemic was this like this tour of Jesus Christ Superstar, which uh, which was the first like production I saw that I actually liked, actually came back to Southern California, Yay. which it wasn't going to originally. So, yeah, we, we get to go see JCS in that hub of culture, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> a hub of culture, Orange County. It's <laughs> exciting. Should be interesting. I think it's our first one that we're going to see there, right? Because the only other one we've seen is uh, Frozen, which was in Los Angeles. Yeah. And then like, this is going to be my second show I've seen there uh, at the Segerstrom uh, Art Center. You want to know what the first one was? One guess. Cats. Close. Phantom. It was Love Never Dies. Love Never Dies. Sure. Yes. <laughs> I saw Love Never Dies in the very last row. That was where we got like run down by the like illegal merch oh. seller oh best uh, musical yeah <laughs> best mu- right, the shirt that right. says best musical <laughs> yeah i think i accidentally ruined that shirt as, as i was kind of getting my notes together i i have a lot of like thoughts and fifis about the theology of in general but like the way it relates to this show mm-hmm. i don't as they say have a personal relationship with our lord and savior jesus christ <laughs> I wasn't really right. I think like my upbringing was to Christianity. I think like what yours was to Islam, like it's like sort of it's kind of in the background. Yeah, yeah. but I, you know, I, I I participated in like the holidays in that I you know picked Easter eggs and bought presents. But like we weren't very active in the religiosity of it. Mm-hmm. I did go to church camp a couple times. Oh, church uh, camp! You were you, someone tried yeah. to save you. That like we said before, that's pretty exciting. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was young life because that that was like uh, they were they were doing this trip to New York, and that was the first time I saw Phantom. Was I was like, well, I'm not here for the youth group thing, but I do want a free <laughs> trip to New York. So <laughs> they like raised money for me to go to New York in in the uh, service of saving my soul, which of course did not succeed. Uh, I remain unsaved, but I did get the original cast recording of Phantom of the Opera on that trip, and it was all downhill from there. It's important. Wow. So God saw what you needed anyway and just brought it to you. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, it all like God has a plan, as they say. <laughs> By the way, we're less than five minutes into this episode. and We've already mentioned Love Never Dies and Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So we're still on brand. Um, so, yeah, what was what was your relationship to JCS, as the cool kids call it? When I was in middle school, I developed this incredibly like intense operatic theatrical approach to life because I was repressing like 15 billion things at once. Um, so the only musical artist who could convey like the depths of my pain was Andrew Lloyd Webber. Mm. So I got, oh, yeah. yeah, I got, see, this is why we're friends. Yeah. Cause I know exactly <laughs> what that's like. That was my middle school experience as well. Where was this? This was uh, extreme rural South Dakota. I grew up okay. in a town of about 750 people. Oh, small. So, yes. Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber came into my life at a pivotal moment because of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I saw the mm-hmm. Donny Osmond yeah. tour. I, we need to see yeah. We need to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. But uh, I remember I bought, it was a London concert version of JCS from 1992. And I bought it on dual cassettes. 
And the original Jesus Christ Superstar is this like kind of um, funky concept album, very 70s. And this Mm -hmm. concert version was like, we're going to make all this really bombastic and theatrical, like a 1980s Andrew Lloyd Mm -hmm. Webber musical. And to this day, that's the version of Jesus Christ Superstar I have in my head is that like extremely over the top theatrical version. And uh, I was raised fundamentalist Christian. And then uh, Jesus Christ Superstar like began what we call deconstruction, wherein like I left the church because I listened to it. And literally just the simple fact of we're going to tell this from Judas's point of view made me be like, whoa. There's some things I haven't examined. I'm going to become the Joker. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's interesting the the evolution of Jesus Christ Superstar within like Christian circles because when I was growing up, it was like not yet a thing that people talked about. It wasn't as taboo as it was in like my parents' generation. When it first came out, it was like blasphemous of the Mm -hmm. devil. And then in the 90s, people were like, you know, it's a pretty good show. It just doesn't have great theology. And now, like, churches put it on because it has really? the words Jesus Christ in the yeah. title. Oh, I was kind of curious because I feel like since Christianity has, like, split so hard and the majority of Christians in the U.S. right now are kind of floating further and further towards, like, fundamentalism, I wonder if it's going to kind of swing back in that direction of this being blasphemous. Because I definitely remember, like, in the 90s, uh, like, you know, when I was growing up, all the Christians thought it was, like, you know, cool and edgy, Mm -hmm. but, like, you know, totally acceptable. Yeah. Because, you know, it's Judas... Like, he doesn't do anything in JCS that he doesn't do in the Bible. You know, it's there. He had his little justifications, his little Judas-y justifications. Is it sort of like uh, like Book of Mormon where, like, you know, the Mormon church took out an ad on the other side of the, whatchamacallit, the flyer that they hand out? No. That says, like, you know, if you're interested in learning more, oh, about, like, if they're just talking about it, that's what they're excited about, whether it's good or bad. They're like, if you're interested in learning no, more about the church. because, like, the people who were mad at, like, because, like, the Mormons had a good sense of humor about the Book of Mormon for the most part. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think there was actually a big Mormon backlash against that show because they were like, well, at least we're getting attention, yeah. you know, and, you know, Mormons tend to be a little saner than um, than fundamentalist, fundamentalist Christians, Christians who, yeah. you know, are going to protest outside of abortion clinics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was more just like uh we're we're going to protest. We're going to like, you know, go on TV and do the Tammy Faye Baker thing. It was very serious, you know, where, you know, Mormons like, you know, they, they didn't want to alienate anybody. Mm-hmm. I, you got to give that to the Mormons. <laughs> All right. I mean, when Jesus Christ Superstar came out, like Jesus did give a couple interviews where he was like, well, there's no such <laughs> thing as bad press, you know, like. <laughs> Yeah, that that was also yeah, that was like his last words, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he like, that he it's cried in his biography into the Lord. About how to become a superstar? <laughs> yeah, he cried into the Lord as 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 he as his lungs collapsed. <laughs> what do you know about the New Testament, Kabe? Coming in as a oh, uh, someone who did not grow up with this. <laughs> I like the Bible. Basically, I don't. I like. I know there's a bunch of stuff in there. I know that Jesus was a good dude, apparently, and <laughs> you know. Uh, what is it? It's like, he's the prophet, but he's not the, he's not the son of God is the issue that I grew up with. Not the issue, but it's right. like, yeah, yeah. No, he, well, he's a prophet. He's a prophet, because but I he's think not it, the actual yeah, son Islam of God. Yeah, Islam has like what, six, five or six prophets? Oh, I have no, I've literally, I have like negative idea about what any oh of this God. is. Oh my God. Am I, I going to out-Muslim you? Absolutely. You're going you're <laughs> to muslim explain to me hundred percent. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, I could do that. I mean, it's relevant. I've read nothing. Uh, like I said, like I've read nothing. I don't, I don't know any of it other than what I picked up here and there. It's just, it's strictly been cultural for us growing up. Or for my family, I should say. Uh, my uh, my Arden co-creator, uh, Sarah Gollop, she grew up uh, just sort of like, I don't know, like secular Muslims, the wrong term. But like she had mm. that she was from a family that had practiced Islam, but like was no longer doing that. Yeah. So she mm-hmm. had like no background in, you know, sort of these Christian stories that I just take for granted. And like yeah. we our second season of our show was built around Easter and there were so many times when we were in the writer's room and she would just be like, I don't know what that is, Emily. I don't know what that is. And I'd be like, well, you know, like the Good Friday or whatever. And no this, this culminated in her being like, OK, so between when Jesus dies and when he's resurrected, like who's God? And I was like, well, you know, it's kind of a, it's, <laughs> well, God is God. God it's is kind God. of a, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, OK, so like that Saturday, the Saturday like, between Jesus is still God. He's just fighting Satan yeah, in exactly. hell right he's, now. He's, he's fighting. Fighting. It's basically gay. 
Gandalf and the Balrog after he dies, like falling through the like fiery inferno and beating the shit out of each other. And then he comes back Yeah, but on Sunday. The, the point is that that Saturday between Good Friday and uh, Sunday, you can get away with anything. It's Jesus is the Purge. That is a joke that Sarah put in the show. <laughs> that you should all listen to. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to adhere to that. Yeah, but I, th- I do kind of find that like going to church is not the best way to learn about like the Bible. Um, Cause I do remember learning about like the old Testament, like very distantly like Sunday school. Uh, but that was it. Like, I don't remember learning about the new Testament at all until I went to college. And basically everything I know about the Bible is either from college or just, you know, watching YouTube right. videos. No, I, that I, I did learn about, some like, stuff what? in high school too. Cause I think part of our English class, they did have like a section on the Bible, not like in a yeah. way of being like, we're trying to, I mean, I went to public school, but it wasn't like to be indoctrinating into Christianity. It was like, well, this is the most famous book that's ever existed. So we can't pretend like it does. It didn't happen. So we read a few stories. Did you do AP European history? I did not. It's kind of hard to, yeah, we, we had AP European. I think it's kind of hard to tackle European history without getting a little into the Bible. Yeah, yeah. It was like Job and I don't know some other stuff that we read yeah. about. But that that's was, pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. That's Job this. and something about a whale. That's yeah. <laughs> and of course, everybody knows that Jesus guy. I've I've heard of him. Yeah, he talked a bunch and then he talked 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 too much shit. <laughs> and he got whacked. <laughs> that's the New Testament. Yes, that's the extent of my knowledge of the New Testament. I will say the only thing I, I would like to say is that my only uh, association or my only information that I have about Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh right, yeah. Is uh, there's this very very famous. Someone say even an icon, a diva, an Iranian singer. Her name is Gugush. Uh, she was sort of this huge, huge deal, continues to be. Uh, in the 70s, she had a song called Talakh, which means divorce. And I did not find this out until like two years ago that apparently the baseline of Jesus Christ Superstar is sampled in that song. <laughs> I didn't know this, like I said, until two years ago, and I played it for our friend Portia, and she's like, that's Jesus Christ Superstar. I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah, because like, Jesus Christ Superstar, like, both opens and ends with, like, legit bangers. So the singer Gugush was not allowed to sing for, like, 20 years after the revolution. And in the year 2000, the Iranian government was like, you can go ahead and tour, because female singers were not allowed in Iran for that period, that stretch of time. So she did this world tour, which was, like, this insane, like... Like, think about um, the Beatles at Ed Sullivan Theater in the 60s of, like, people screaming, mm-hmm. but, like, parents, people in their, like, 40s, 50s, and 60s, like, screaming and crying, like, entire stadiums full. Uh, and the way that they advertised for it was that one specific hook of that baseline, <laughs> which was yeah. playing, like, on loop for months and months and months because it was this huge fucking deal that she was going to come out and play these shows because it was, like... This is the first time she's played since the revolution, blah, blah, blah. So that's forever seared into my brain is specifically because of that. And I actually did get to go see her uh, at the uh, Oakland Coliseum, which was fucking nuts. Like I said, the craziest thing I've ever seen in terms of a crowd, like no crowd have I seen has been has that crazy as that one of, of these people who had not been able to enjoy music from pre-revolutionary run until 20 years later so, in the year 2000. So when we're sitting in the audience for this show and the opening baseline of Heaven on Their Minds plays, you're going to like have like a Proustian reverie. And yes. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm just going to be like, oh my God, I remember this. It was, it was, I can't overstate how crazy it was. It was, it, it was surreal to watch. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So now we can go on to the stats. Um, Okay, so Jesus Christ Superstar is a rock opera with music by Andrew Lloyd Webber and lyrics by Tim Rice. Ooh, Tim Rice, I know him. It is loosely based on the Gospel's account of the last week of Jesus' life. After the success of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which Lloyd Webber and Rice wrote when they were only 19 and 23 respectively, wow, that's impressive, uh, the two embarked on their next more ambitious project about the final days of Jesus Christ, whom I've heard of. Taking a page from hippie culture's fascination with Jesus, they decided this would be a good idea for their first full-fledged Broadway production. Yeah, because Joseph never made it to Broadway. I don't think it ever made it to Broadway. It did in the 80s. In the early 80s, they mounted it finally, and it was like nominated for Best Musical and some things at the Tonys and didn't win anything. Um, It's a very weird show. Yeah, that one's one of those, like, it's, it's pretty uncontroversial. Because it's like Old Testament Christians are like, well, look, you can do whatever. I mean, we do whatever. We just take the Old Testament and just say whatever. I guess kind of the like 
cutesiest story from the Old Testament and not one that's like super important to anybody. It was an interesting test run because Jesus Christ Superstar is a lot more like, okay, let's do that, but edgy. It's sort of like taking Guardians of the Galaxy for the Marvel Universe, like something that a property that no one's not as familiar yeah. with <laughs> before you take on the yeah. Avengers, which is much more popular. Yeah, because I'm, I'm just like, uh, I guess Christians like it because it is, I guess, fundamentally a story about forgiveness, mm-hmm. which you don't get a whole lot of in the Old Testament. There is some like thing that I've totally forgotten that is about how like Joseph is like this parallel to Jesus. He mm-hmm. gives his life to save his brothers, except it's just metaphorical. He doesn't actually give his life. He's assumed to be dead. He comes back like it is seen as a parallel by some Christians. And I think mm-hmm. Joseph the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat is popular with Christians because it is like it is a way to feel like you're watching something that's actually popular and be like, hey, this also has a good message because yeah. it's got. Yeah, I yeah. remember that being a lot more popular with the Christian crowd than Jesus Christ Superstar, at least in my part of the world. Because, again, I grew up in very deeply religious South. Yeah, I, that, I think that was true where I was as well. Like, you know, but, you know, Pharaoh is just like Elvis. And isn't that cheeky? Isn't that fun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't the bad Pharaoh. So <laughs> that came later. Uh, no one in Britain believed in it. Surprising. And the Americans felt that the British musicals wouldn't sell. So they decided to make it a concept album instead to bolster interest in stage in the stage show. The album was a shock runaway success, becoming the top selling album of 1971 ahead. Even Carol King's tapestry. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. It's uh yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's one of the biggest albums of the seventies. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Honestly, honestly, a little more offended that you don't know about Carol King than that you don't know about <laughs> <Yeah>. Jesus. <laughs> I just don't know the record. Yeah. So Lloyd Webber and Rice got their Broadway production, but one they were not happy with. Then they got a movie and they really weren't happy with that. I didn't realize they made a movie. Yeah. Is, I mean, it's funny because like the movie is uh, not good. They shot it on location in Israel. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they bothered because the movie's very ugly. It looks like it was shot like in Griffith Park, you know, it, like they mm-hmm. may as well have saved a bunch of money and, and shot it in California. But it has some like it has some really good performances. Um, I really like Judas. I think Judas in the movie is the same as Judas in the album. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And it has some good scenes, like the musical numbers in isolation are fun. It's uh, it's directed by Norman Jewison, I believe, who did mm-hmm. um, Fiddler on the Roof, Fiddler on the and Roof yeah. a number of other big movies. And just like, yeah, I do think filming it on location and like the premise is like just a bunch of hippies decide to get out and put on a show that is accidentally about Jesus or something like it's they did this. Yeah, it's yeah. muddy. Yeah, they did the same thing with Godspell, but like Godspell's a little bit more clear. Oh, Jesus is a clown now. And that's just how it is. Like, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know. I I feel like there's a good movie to be made of Jesus Christ Superstar, unlike a lot of Andrew Lloyd Webber's work, but uh, they haven't found it yet. Where Christians tend to be overwhelmingly fond of the relatively upbeat and toothless Joseph, Jesus Christ Superstar was a bit more controversial. For instance, Jesus is not infallible in the show. In fact, very much does not want to be crucified. And the show is not only largely from Judas's point of view, it is also very sympathetic to him. As the album was far more popular than anyone anticipated, so too came the backlash, as we mentioned, particularly from the Christians and the Jews. Tim Rice was quoted as saying, It happens that we don't see Christ as God, but simply the right man at the right time at the right place. That's how one becomes a superstar. They didn't didn't like that. And also the show does not allude to the resurrection, let alone include it. So, you know, if you're not a religious person, you could watch it and be like, oh, so he dies. Mm -hmm. And then that's that. That's the end. Because, I mean, like, I guess obviously that's what most non-Christians think is what happened. Yeah. A lot of productions um, allude to it in a weird way, especially if they're put on by more religious groups. The concert Mm -hmm. version I had on tape Mm-hmm. Ends with the song, Could We Start Again, Please, which it contorts itself to put at the end. And like, because, you know, it's sort of like the one song that's like, I guess maybe, but it also just sort of implies that like maybe Jesus and Mary Magdalene are trapped in a time loop. So um, yeah. Ooh, multiverse, uh, <laughs> the musical is banned in South Africa for being irreligious. 
On the flip side, in 1972, the show was banned in Hungary for distribution of religious propaganda. So you can't, can't, can't win. <laughs> Poor Lord Andy. <laughs> the album and show was also condemned by Jewish groups like the ADL for doing an anti-Semitism. Okay, uh, so pop quiz hotshot. Who killed Jesus? Judas? No. Yes? No. Judas backstabbed him, right? He like yeah, sold like, him out. Historically, historically. The, the Romans? Who killed Yes, yes, the Romans killed Jesus. Yes. Are you surprised because I got it right or that I knew anything? Yes, I, I'm surprised. I yeah. mean, like the, most, I mean, like the joke is that Jews killed Jesus, but um, so there is no greater force for anti-Semitism in Western culture, mm. all of culture, but Western culture in particular, than the New Testament. The New Testament is really, really overt that like it kisses Pontius Pilate's ass so hard, it absolves the Romans as much as it possibly can of any responsibility, and pretty unabashedly. I, I can't. I don't know if it's all of the Gospels, but I think definitely Matthew. Like basically, is like Jesus died because the Jews made the Romans do it, which is like, you know, even as you say it out loud, it's ridiculous. Then there's a reason for that. <laughs> there's a like, yeah, it is very much set up as like the Pharisees and Sadducees who are these religious leaders are like manipulating the political situation to make Jesus seem like a threat. Mm -hmm. So the Romans will put him to death, but the Romans are like, we don't want to do this. And then they're like kind of cornered into, it makes no sense if you mm -hmm. actually like yeah. write it out as a series of character motivations, mm -hmm. but like it became it's so ingrained in the culture of, of, of uh -huh. Western Europe that it just ends up being like now, you know, I, I look at that story and I, I like actually read it last year for, for church purposes. And I was like, mm -hmm. this makes no sense. Like as a storyteller, <laughs> yeah. but it's so ingrained. Yeah. So the, the thing about Jesus Christ superstar is it is actually a pretty faithful adaptation of the gospels because the gospels in order to kind of, okay. So, there was this uprising in Jerusalem, right? And of course it got quashed because everything did. Um, but it was like led by the Jews and the Christians at the time were still pretty under the radar. There weren't that many of them. And so around towards the end of the first century AD, when the gospels were being written, mm -hmm. because they weren't written until like 30 to 60 years after Jesus died, they were very like, we're not with them. Because it was like the, the Jews PR at that time was just like really bad with the Romans. And so to avoid persecutions from the Romans, the Christians, the early Christians threw the Jews under the bus in a big, big way. I guess not thinking that it would have any real repercussions a couple thousand years down the line. But the thing is, like, officially the line has been ever since that uh, the Jews killed Jesus all the way up until Vatican II, <laughs> wherein the Pope finally absolved the Jews for the, the horrible crime of killing our Lord and Savior. And it took a whole ass Holocaust to even get that far. Jesus. So. No yeah, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's just kind of like this thing that is like weirdly never talked about. about Because it's just like, yeah, the this is pretty overt in the Old Testament. That Yeah, the, it's not like it weird how like Western culture has been just like so anti-Semitic for the last 2000 years. Why did that never go away? It's like, well, cause of the Bible never did. Mm. The thing that makes Christianity so successful is that it's like really easy to like twist it and co-opt it for whatever ends you want, you know, in theory, like the whole thing of um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which is like the core of Jesus's teaching feels like it's like pretty altruistic, but it's really easy to take that and twist it and be like, well, you know what? Yeah. I would love it if you made me eat shit. So I'm going to make you eat shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like that's true of like all, any religion. Yeah. I think Islam is a really good example where uh, one of the major tenets in the Quran is you're not supposed to kill innocent people, period. Like that's just off limits, you know, and they have all these rules about war and war has to be declared. And, you know, the problem with a lot of these, these people in these terrorist groups is they are illiterate. So they don't really have any way to cross-reference um, like what the Quran actually says. So the way terrorism is justified is like, well, if you're uh, affiliated with X thing, let's say America, you cannot be innocent. Therefore, de facto, it doesn't matter if you're a woman or child, you are not innocent. And that's why it's OK to kill you. And so it's like you have to just 
take it so far. You have to like bend it so far in order to make that make sense. But, you know, some people do that. Christianity is really good at franchising itself. Like, and that's what, yeah, that, that is what gets it the foothold in the early Roman empire or the late Roman empire, where it's just sort of like, we, we can make this whatever you need it to be, depending on where you are. And so it spreads very quickly, um, and ends up, you know, um, being a model for not a model, but ends that ends up being sort of how other monotheistic religions going forward, including things like Islam, like Mormonism. Yeah. They twist themselves to fit whatever that culture is. For instance, I mean, the obvious thing is that Christmas replaces a whole bunch of, you know, uh, pagan holidays. And we Mm -hmm. took a bunch of those symbols and now they're now they're Christmas things. Yeah. Um, ALW at the time scoffed at the notion of it being anti-Semitic, but has since walked that back and admitted that maybe the Jews have a point. It's yeah, it's just like you just this is what you get for adapting the Gospels. Uh, JCS basically created the blueprint that Hamilton would follow some 40 years later. I could see that. Uh, unlike yeah, I other, guess we, we can talk about it, uh, after, after we actually we watch see it, it yeah. but yeah, it is very, it is, uh, Hamilton owes a lot to yeah. Jesus Christ superstar. And I think Lin-Manuel Miranda has like, you know, not been shy about that because yeah. he's a big fan. Uh, unlike other Lloyd Webber joints, Lord Andy has grown proud of the fact that there is no official production blueprint for JCS meaning that each production is often wildly different from the last and each new director who takes it on can give it as wild or as traditional a vision as they want. Like Batman. Yeah, exactly. Some of them are kind of wacky. Some of them are more serious. Um, some of them are more modern. Like the the movie is very hippie, which is, I think, kind of funny because by the time the movie came out, hippies were kind of passe anyway. Yeah. I wonder. So what is this one going to qualify as you guys know? I kind of feel like it's it's like modern ish. Like Jesus has a man bun. Um, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> he he plays a guitar. Uh, oh no, he's like the, that guy at every party. <laughs> yeah, he's literally a white guy with an acoustic guitar, and it's got a lot of glitter in it. Uh, okay, and the the, the set's kind of minimalist, uh, but it, it's you know, I wouldn't call it modernized. I would call it stylized. Uh, but yeah, and then the cast is all dressed very comfortably, so they can dance and make us feel bad about how out of shape we are. <laughs> I think um, the the John Legend one that came out a few years ago was actually quite mm-hmm. good. Um, the live TV concert version thing. Yeah. I've come around on that one. I didn't really like the actual performance because it felt really low energy to me. But then whenever I listened to it, I was like, yeah, John Legend. And I think maybe it's just because John Legend doesn't have a very expressive face. He's kind of like Renee Zellweger in that he always looked like he just bit into a lemon and he's trying to pretend like he didn't. Sour face. And yeah, and, and Alice Cooper was also really like Alice low Cooper energy. Was in it? <laughs> yeah, he plays King Herod. Um <laughs> and this sounds uh, which awesome, is actually. Also, it sounds great. Yeah, it's all, all there's always kind of stunt casting with King Herod, and you'll see why. Uh because it's like, you know, the show's getting serious and then King Herod shows up. Sounds and, like Hamilton uh, again, huh? <laughs> Yeah, it's, King Herod is exactly like the the King George of, of uh, JCS. When you listen to the album, it's like, oh, yeah, this is like actually kind of high energy. Maybe it's because the set was so small. I don't know. Uh, but I really like listening to that album. I, I, I really come around on the John Legend. I do version. love John Legend. He's got a fantastic voice. He's very I think, talented. Uh, I think that version had a lot of um, I love the direction of that version, but it was definitely designed to be sort of reverent in a way that got in the way of the show's energy. And I liked that choice, but I get why watching it, it could feel a little low energy. Um, I mean, they aired it on Easter night and I think they skewed in the direction of being a little bit like you're going to watch this with your family as you celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And like, that's not what you should do with Jesus Christ superstar. I thought it worked on its own terms. And with the like 18,000 commercial breaks that, yeah, speaking of breaking up the energy, I think it was like two and a half hours because it added an hour just for commercial breaks. Wow. It was so, so long. So yeah, it's a much more enjoyable experience as an album. That version, anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a, I, I really like this particular production, even if Jesus has a man bun. You know, we'll forgive him. So the songs are strong enough to hold up. He forgave us. <laughs> <laughs> we can forgive the man bun. Okay, so we're going to go watch Jesus Christ Superstar, listen to this lovely ad read, and we'll be back with our thoughts. All right, we're back. We've returned. We've the second half of the yeah. podcast has been resurrected. Resur- <laughs> resurrected, you might say, just in time for Easter. 
Yeah, so we saw Je- the the touring production, the 50th anniversary touring production of Jesus Christ Superstar in November of 2021. You know, so I guess we're kind of between COVID waves, both at the time of recording and when we saw it. And at the at the Sigerstrom Center from the Arts, a very interesting place. It's very It was a nice uh, theater. It was very beautiful. I had actually never been. Very big. It's huge. Easily the biggest one we've we've been in, including Pantages. It's bigger than Pantages. What's yeah, it? it was maybe forty percent full for our our attempt yes. for our performance. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm. yeah. It was also yeah. I guess um, one of the first you know touring productions that had been back through. They were pretty rigorous about masking mm-hmm. and and stuff, which honestly kind of was, I guess, a pleasant surprise. Considering it was Orange I was County, say, considering where we were at that time, yeah. But at the same time, it, I think it probably affected attendance, considering it was Orange County. Right. And if you know anything about Orange County, like anytime it trends on Twitter, it's probably related to like COVID Being restrictions or vaccine yeah. mandate. Yeah. I'm pretty sure a lot of people in Orange County like Jesus a lot too. So you would think that it would be in like yeah, yeah, all the way. Well, I guess it's not mega churchy enough for them, which is ironic because the Segerstrom <laughs> Center kind of looks like it a mega does, church. It does, doesn't it? It does look like a set out of Righteous Gemstones. Is the is yeah, the Crystal Cathedral in Orange County? I think it is. It's this in the. It's a Crystal Cathedral, is what. Oh, it is. Oh yes, I think I know what you're talking about. I've seen the outside of it, but I haven't been the inside. I only know this because there's a Lucille's barbecue down the street from it. it that's like a very good. Oh barbecue yeah, it place. is indeed. It's in Garden Grove. Yeah. We did go see it, 40% attendance, hopefully, like roughly. We're <laughs> eyeballing it here. Honestly, that was kind of my experience the first time I saw it at the Pantages. Was it was not anywhere near full. Because I think it's, all, you know, the demand is going to be for like Wicked and Hades Town mm-hmm. and hot ticket items. You know, Jesus Christ Superstar is kind of old news. Only nerds are going to be into it. I also imagine a lot of people have seen it, too, because it's such like a prevalent show that like it's probably not like the craziest thing to come to town. I don't know, because like I have, there are not that many like this is the first really big professional touring production that like I'm aware of. Like there were a few Broadway productions scattered throughout the decades. None of them were particularly good. None of them did particularly well. And then there was the John Legend one, which people are generally fond of. Mm-hmm. But to me, is nowhere near as energetic as this one. Yeah, as as, as we will discuss, is it's ex- very like it's like watching a Zumba class. Like <laughs> they are all wearing athleisure all the way through. That was what I yeah, noticed. Yeah, they, they. You know, I was. You know, it, it's just wow. You, you guys, it's like Peloton, put this thing on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like Jesus Christ Superstar brought to you by Peloton. This is like written by a twenty-three-year-old and a nineteen-year-old with like boundless energy and like. You know, they go there. Yeah. But anyway, so so the quick recap, Jesus Christ Superstar is the uh, weirdly a spiritual, a religious uh, story of the last week ish or so of Jesus Christ's Jesus of Nazareth's uh, life. Mm-hmm. You know, because they mention like the son of God stuff, but like there's not a whole lot of God in the story. Um, it's very like. Well, he says he's right. You know, Not a lot of miracles uh, of walking on water no. or flying up into yeah, the sky or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. People clearly think he does miracles, but like none are really depicted. Yeah. As part of the Gospels, the last few days of Jesus's life uh, follow like he's getting a little too big for his britches. Mm-hmm. So um, says he's Judas. Getting a little too popular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and you know you're getting a little too popular. And Judas, his bestie slash his frenemy, Judas. Mm-hmm. Um, his Lucille is, too. Uh, <laughs> he, he is, is, he's a little worried that they're getting too much attention yeah. with the movement. He's he's a liberal, uh, you know. And, we need to be uh, more centrist, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, but Jesus is, you know, he just he's having a good he's time. Just doing he's doing his vibing. thing. Yeah, he's vibing. His followers are vibing, and so the Pharisees, who are like the the bad bad guys, um, are like, we got to do something about this guy. Yeah. And so uh, they basically talk Judas into selling Jesus out. And Judas does that for his 30 pieces of silver. And uh, they hand him over to the Romans. Who And Pontius Pilate, he does not want to crucify mm-hmm. this, like, salt bay over here. He's just, <laughs> he's, he's got his man bun and his guitar. He's not hurting anybody. 
Um, <laughs> but wow. you know, and then all of a sudden the crowd just turns on him. They're like, you know what? We, I would, this Jesus is bad actually. Yeah. Uh, don't like him. and he's too popular. Yeah, he's yeah, exactly. His following he's is too false. big. <laughs> yeah. He, he got too many Twitter followers and then he got canceled for, uh, <laughs> reasons. And so, uh, he, you know, tall poppy needs to get cut down. And, uh, so, Pontius tries to foist it off on the local uh, viceroy, King Herod, mm-hmm. and then King Herod immediately punts it right back to Pontius, and Pontius is like, fine. Fine, I'll do it. And then he crucifies him, and that's that's the end. That's basically that's just, it. <laughs> and then it, it ends when he dies. Short and sweet. Yeah, it's very short. Like, cause, uh, we were, when, as we were leaving, you were like, wow, you weren't kidding, that was short. Yeah, because I, I literally thought by the end of it, I was like, okay, I guess that's the end of Act 1, and we're going to go have a drink and go back for Act 2. But it was like, nope, that's it, yeah. it's done. That's it. One act. Yeah. 90 minutes, baby. I can't imagine those actors having to do that again. Yeah. How could you, like, especially, like, uh, like the last musical number, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ Superstar, is very high energy. Yeah. And, like, there's a lot of dancing in it. The guy that plays Judas is very, well, Judas is a very taxing role mm-hmm. as a singer, mm-hmm. uh, for, sing- for any singer. Um, it's funny because when uh, Tim Minchin did it in a British tour production mm-hmm. they filmed it and they auto-tuned him oh that's kind of that cool really pissed no <laughs> well it really pissed him off he was oh, really? really mad about that yeah because it's just like i you know let me be flawed you yeah. know it's <laughs> <laughs> i am a professional but like why sure. are you you know you know it's just really difficult to like hit those like high notes in that like really rock ballad way yeah. i feel like if there's one person from history where you can mm-hmm. let them be flawed it's judas iscariot that's true that's true <laughs> like that kind of goes with the territory that's kind of the whole point yeah oh speaking of which uh who was his name uh the guy who played james t yeah, yeah james, james beaks t. justice yeah holy shit this uh, twist of fate is fucking at- unreal you look yeah. this up right yeah okay so if you'd <laughs> Uh oh oh he has he literally been fired. was after the performance that we saw. Yeah, this is a shame. He was a great like. Okay, so when I when the first time I saw it, um, I whenever this came back, the Jesus was the same. Aaron, his he's played by a guy named Aaron Levine, who's been playing this role for years. Mm-hmm. Judas appeared to be played by a different actor, mm-hmm. and I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then when we saw it, I was it was well, wow, they found a guy that was identical to the guy I saw two years ago. No, it was the same guy. He just changed his name. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then like two weeks later. Uh, <laughs> this is like, talk about t- playing the role gets, way too seriously. I know, right? Like, man, if you can't trust Judas, he gets arrested for participating in the January, January 6th <laughs> insurrection. Unreal. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, like, and yes, this is, this is a black guy. He's uh He's forty nine. Interestingly, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't look would it. Would not have expected uh, that. No, no. Yeah, incredible shape. Like he, he's a he's linked to the sovereign citizen movement. If you're not familiar with that, yeah. um, it's I don't know, Emily. Do you want to describe it? It's very funny. No, like, I, <laughs> no, I, I I have already forgotten what it is. But yeah, <laughs> you you just say uh, I I'm a sovereign nation unto myself. You can't tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm a state. You. It's just it's. I, I don't know. Myself. Somehow or other, that yeah, I'm a stateless person. I'm yeah. not a citizen of the United States. I'm a sovereign citizen. Now, back in my it, day, it makes absolutely no sense. Back in my day, you had to take over an abandoned oil rig to do something like that. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but um, but this guy was being followed by the FBI at the time. Who? Funny story. Right. They also went to a couple of shows, quote unquote, for like research to follow him. Which I think they just really wanted to go see Jesus Christ Superstar a couple times. Do you think they were at our show? That, that's what I was thinking. So like literally, so after our show is when he was supposed to, he got arrested between our show and then the next show because he went back to Florida. That's what they were like figuring out when they were tracking him. So I'd like to think that the FBI was at our show, just sort of hanging out and watching it. I see. Okay. I'm, this article I'm looking at now, according to court documents acquired by CNN, <laughs> Beeks, his real name is James Beeks, joined a group of Oath Keepers. Yeah. Yes. Two weeks before the attack, which is wild because Oath, uh, Oath Keepers are like the... You know, just just a, a couple of like semitones shy of Nazis, right? Like yeah. they're really far right. Mm. Yeah, and I feel like they have a lot of um, basis in, um, you know, not directly, but basis in theocratic Christian fascism, sort of that movement. Mm. And like, 
it's very weird to be enmeshed in that movement and then play Judas. Like I'm yeah. sure that, yeah. you know, he, he balances it. However, in his brain, <laughs> just thinking about his method. Invest- yeah. <laughs> Investigators located beaks after attending two of his Jesus Christ superstar performances. And it is like his entire uh, defense appears to be. It wasn't me. Um, Even though they identified him there. because he was wearing a jacket <laughs> From Michael Jackson's bad tour in the 80s. That's how they figured out it was him. And he calls himself like the world's yeah. best Michael Jackson impersonator. Uh, yeah. And the, uh, the production apparently had absolutely no idea. Yeah. Uh, Surreal. So, I mean, the, the tour is still like, I think it's, it's on its final legs, but mm. he was very promptly replaced. <laughs> this article I'm reading right now, the last line is, he was getting outstanding reviews yeah, for Jesus. He was very good. Yeah, it's like, he was great. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a shame. Why do they always have to be fascist you know like that is but you know man if you can't if you can't trust judas uh uh yeah but i I guess do you do what we can uh well putting aside the uh um you know fascist coup yeah aside from that separate the art from the artist uh, yeah at least we finally know if bad people can make good art the answer is yes they can play yes. Judas wonderfully at the cast Sagerstrom wonderfully yeah, exactly. cast perfectly I guess <laughs> unintentionally yeah was it, was it uh, you know it's typecasting or uh, you know hashtag own voices if you will <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to talk about the performances like because uh, like, yeah, so I guess we could start with Judas Judas is functionally the main character of the show mm-hmm. Um, it's told basically from his point of view. Yeah. If you're familiar with Hamilton, this is like a Hamilton that's half as long. He's kind of more like the Aaron Burr character, I suppose. Yeah, he gets the best songs. Uh, and the way that this guy, perf- you know, performed it was, you know, he was at an 11 the whole time, yeah. which, you know, personally, I think is the best way to play Judas. Again, like Tim mentioned, kind of did it the same way when he played Judas. Which kind of contrasts with uh, Jesus is a lot more low key. Yeah. But I feel like generally speaking, this whole show, at least to me, does really feel like it's at an 11 for the most part anyway. Yeah. There's a a couple ballads and that's like just to kind of give everybody a chance to breathe. Breathe. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Go backstage and like drink some water, get some Gatorade in there. It gallops along though. It really just goes like full throated all the way through. Yeah, it's. I guess in the Andrew Lloyd Webber oeuvre, mm-hmm. you know, this was like he wrote this about ten years before he wrote Cats, mm-hmm. which does the opposite of gallop along. And for that reason, I actually th- this one was really fun to see. I, I think, and also I was thinking about it. I was going to ask you guys, like, is this something that was like a very famous record to listen to? Because I listened to the record after we saw the show. I had honestly, I enjoyed listening to the record by itself more so than actually seeing it. And I wonder if that's a huge part of why so many people just sort of like love this and know it because it does really work just as like a purely as a concept album. Yeah. Just even without, it almost felt like they recorded this record and then they happened to make a musical about it afterwards rather than the reverse. Well, that's kind of what they did because it's like they wanted it to be a stage show, but mm-hmm. they couldn't get funding for it. So they made the concept album in order to sell the stage show and you okay. know, like it, like we said in the first half, uh, okay. it was yeah. the most, the biggest selling album in the United States of that year, of all of the albums, not just of, you know, rock albums or concept albums. All of them. It's honestly kind of surprising that it did so poorly on Broadway, <laughs> but apparently it's just a really bad production. I think it's a hard show to stage. I think it yeah. really is, you know, it's really easy to do a bad production of this show, mm. um, which, uh, yeah, I think ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. Did Donny Osmond do one? No, he did Joseph. Joseph. He did yeah. Joseph, yeah. yeah. And I saw that production and it was <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> well, Emily, what did you think of this production? Um, I thought it was quite good. I actually preferred the guy who played Jesus to the guy who played Judas because even as I was watching it, I was thinking, Judas, you seem like you were part of an insurrection. And I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I turned Wait a minute, around. were you the FBI agent this whole time? Yeah. This, yeah. I turned this, around. This guy to, smacks of traitor. I turned around to the suspiciously well-suited man behind me. I was like, I think this guy did it. Let's just be honest. Uh, Um, No, I thought it was quite like I have seen this show a couple times, usually bad. And this was a a good production of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I love Jesus Christ Superstar. I actually would would push back a little bit on the idea that it's sort of a religious in the sense that like 
when this was made. And even now, like the idea mm-hmm. that like Jesus's miracles are remain offstage, the resurrection remains offstage is like a kind of a huge religious statement to a lot of people. It's what makes the show still so controversial. Um, but yeah, I thought it was well acted. I thought it was well performed and I uh, was very tired after I watched it. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I went, I drove, I drove home and listened to the um, recording that I used to listen to when I was um, uh, listening to the show endlessly as a kid and just like kind mm-hmm. of felt bad for that kid. Cause like she, uh, she needed somebody to, to come in and, and help her. And it was not uh, Jesus Christ superstar, but uh. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I do wish they would they would have a recording of this. I don't think they're going to, especially now that they're Judas is. They should record it. What did they say? Like from jail, like through the phone or something? Like that's the yeah. joke. Yeah. yeah. Listen, you can record anything on an iPhone now, and it yeah. sounds great. So yeah, I think Jesus is in a lot of ways harder to do than than Judas because a he's boring, um, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have as good songs arguably because again like probably the hardest one to do is uh, Gethsemane which is the one he sings right before he gets arrested it's yeah. seven minutes long <laughs> it's like a capital R rock power ballad RPB and it um, is like the show itself really easy to do badly and yeah. they kind of upped the ante with this one like in the you know tradition of things that are happening on Broadway right now like you can't it's not enough to just be a good singer and dancer and actor. You have to also be able to play musical instrument. Yeah. And so <laughs> Jesus, you know, plays guitar quite a bit throughout this show and he plays Gethsemane. It was fucking killer. Yeah, that, that, it was great. It was killer. Yeah, that was a highlight for me. And that's a song I think that's a song that often just falls apart. And I thought he. Yeah, really yes, nailed it's, it. it's so long. It's that's the song I like, remembered, too. When I when I was when we left, I was like, what was that one song in the middle that you it, you know what it felt like? I, I felt like I was watching like a Muse concert. <laughs> like it yeah, had this like yeah, grandiose. It sounds, yeah, it was yeah, awesome. It actually does kind of sound like a Muse song, especially like the way it's structured. Yeah. It's like hopping from key to key. Oh, man, it was like, great. Incorporates a lot of weird like one thing that Andrew Lloyd Webber loves to do is he'll always sneak in seven eighths time signature mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in every show. That's like one thing. One of his little like kind of Easter eggs is find the seven eight and um, it's all over the place in Jesus Christ Superstar. But it's like really noticeable in Gethsemane where he's like, I got to know. I want yeah, I to, know, to know my God. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, yeah. like, it could be five four. Uh, no, seven eighths earlier. Anyway, well, lady, but yeah, it's it's like a lot of uncon, you know, really unconventional um, songwriting techniques, especially for a rock song. Mm-hmm. And you know, he does this uh, like if you you know see on my YouTube channel, I have this uh, video that's just called Why, and it's just a compilation of all of the Jesus is going Why like, <laughs> towards the end, of, <laughs> towards the end of the song, um, because as it, as it was written, mm-hmm. John Legend is singing it correctly. Towards the end of the song, he goes, why should I die? And the why is like a high F or something really, Mm -hmm. really ridiculous. Um, And it's just kind of a tradition that they sing it like that. It's not written like that. Uh, But like uh, if you want to hear how it's written, watch the John Legend version. Because the first time I saw the John Legend version, I was like, well, that's disappointing. Mm. And and it's like, no, turns out that's how it's written. That's how it's Um, supposed to be. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, Aaron Levine does it, you know, does the like, should I die? And he, you know, absolutely killed it. It was kind of one of those things where it's like, man, I'm sad we're like surrounded by all these like, you know, Orange County Republicans and you know, FBI that get- agents and FBI agents. Right? Show <laughs> FBI. some respect. <laughs> yeah, well, you think at least the FBI agents would be like, woo, you know, like cheering him on because it is one of those like you know songs that could have benefited from a higher energy audience. You know, yeah. I kept thinking too, especially like kind of that track and a lot of these songs like considering when this was released and considering like the wave of like 80s metal bands that sort of have this like theatrical stint I'm like I imagine now all those guys in the 70s had this specific record and yeah. they like grew up to make like well now we're Iron Maiden or like fucking Queens yeah. or whoever like it, I was like oh this has those fingerprints all over it it's like we're gonna be like these irreverent hair metal boys, but you know we're gonna have our one Gethsemane that's gonna be like our heartfelt like November rain. Like all of the, I could see the fingerprints of those all over this. It was really interesting, especially because I was you know that's a genre of music I I did listen to growing up. I mean I still listen to it every now and then as well. But mm. being like oh okay, there's a direct line here. I'd never caught that before. 
Yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's fair to say that this was, uh, like, at least the concept album was hugely mm-hmm. influential because it was, like, right before 70s, like, rock, like Aerosmith and Kiss and stuff like that really started to blow up. Yeah. There's a lot of um, um, prog rock influence I think it had as well because yeah, if you yeah. listen to that original album, the version I listened to when I was 13 was this like weird concert version they did in London in the early 90s. And that's like the only version I can listen to now. Um, mm. And this was actually pretty close to that, which I felt validated by. It was cool. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think one thing about this production is it really underlines its sort of interpretation of the story, which I think is a fair one, is that, you know, Jesus crucifixion was just a messy friend breakup that went too far. <laughs> and like, yeah. like this production is just like, okay, really sort of trying to underline the human emotions of mm-hmm. like, when you and your friends just don't get along anymore. And then somebody yeah. pushes things a little bit too much and betrays yeah. you to the yeah. Pharisees. And then suddenly people are getting crucified but like, it's also interesting that this one ends with, I guess, both of both Jesus and Judas in the afterlife, kind of like, <laughs> me, yeah, my bad, <laughs> yeah, like, kind of fucking like, bad. Sorry, bro. Yeah, it's, it's like they have a meeting, and it's and it's, it, I guess, it's very ambiguous. Like, you can read into it what you want. Like, they both kind of sit on the edge of the stage and give each, look at each other in this really ambiguous way, and then you know, lights fade. Yeah, and I, I think. Uh, so what did you guys think about the like actual staging of it? Cause I, as far as like me having never seen it and going into it. And I think a lot of this obviously has to do with the fact that it's a touring show and they're only there for like a couple of days and there's, it's like run and gun, which also adds to it feeling more like a rock show rather than a proper musical. But like, you know, it's Jesus and then it's like his disciples. And then it's, it feels like there's a lot of people on stage usually. And I was having trouble sort of following who, was supposed to be the sort of focus of it. And like the stage doesn't really change at any point. There's just sort of like a giant cross that looks like it's fallen over, which is really cool visually, but like it didn't really do much to sort of draw your eye towards like, or at least for me, I should say not like at all, but I think we're just so used to these shows like Wicked and like mm-hmm. Hades Town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking of as Wicked know, were designed to, well, A, are just, you know, ridiculous and like how, uh, you know, they change the sets for each scene, mm-hmm. but also like we're designed with like a single theater in mind. I think that's yeah. why Frozen was so awful. Anastasia too, where, you know, they're trying to figure out how to like, okay, how do we make this work for a tour? But this show was designed for a tour. I think one of the flaws of this show is there's a point in the story at which Peter becomes an important character and the show just suddenly is like, and here's Peter. And you're like, who? Because it's so focused on the Judas, Jesus, Mary trio. And then when Pontius Pilate and um, uh, Herod come in, they get their one-off numbers. So you know who they are, but then it's like, Oh, here's Peter. And I guess he's denied. He denies Jesus three times anyway. But like, I think that is, a flaw of this show and a problem with this production specifically in that. Yeah. Mm. You know, this, this character that is suddenly important and some of the other apostles who are like suddenly important, they just kind of get lost in the noise. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where it assumes familiarity, you know, where it's like, yeah, you know, you're, well, of course, you know, Peter denied Jesus three times Mm -hmm. and it's like, I did not know that. (laughs) I learned more about Jesus through this than I have in my entire 38 years (laughs) on this planet. Um, and then Simon yeah. uh, has a musical number, which I think is like a similar flaw where it's like he has a musical number that slaps, mm-hmm. you know, where he's, you know, it's he, although it is kind of similar to Judas's. It's a little confusing because the actor looks a lot like the actor who looks like Judas. So or who, the actor who played Judas. So um, the first time I saw it, I was like, is that who? you know. Uh, but basically it's like this apostle comes, he has a number that he sings about how like great Jesus's movement is going. Um, and then he's never really a part of the story again. And like, that is, even if you are like a devout Christian, like, Mm -hmm. like, uh, Simon the Zealot is like the, I don't know, like the Ant-Man of the Apostle Avengers. (laughs) Like he's way down the list. Like he's not the first guy you're turning to. Like, um, it's, it's an obscure character, even for people who are theoretically super in on this shows, um, 
mythology, if you will. I think that is an interesting thing about this show is that the conversation it was having when it was first written in the early 70s has completely changed in terms of like now we're like, well, thinking about Jesus and Judas as like human beings and characters in the larger story is no longer like subversive in the way it was back then. But also like just casual knowledge of tenets of Christianity is increasingly not the case among, you know, um, Americans under 50 and like in, yeah, yeah, in 1970, like the assumption was, oh yeah, everybody knows all the beats of this story. And now like people probably know Jesus died on a cross and that might like be the extent of it. Yeah. They know Judas betrayed him somehow. Uh, I even, even like the Peter thing. Like I, I only know that from like a mystery science theater joke. Uh, <laughs> See, people say pop culture doesn't provide value, but like that's how we learn half these things. Yeah. I do think it's worth just mentioning. Um, Mary Magdalene is kind of a thankless part. Um, she's just mm. there to like be, hello, Jesus, you're great. And yeah. I love you. And like she yeah. gets, everything's all right. As I think one of the better songs in the show and she gets that. But uh, I thought the uh, actress who played her here, whose name, of course, I don't remember. Um, mm. It was good. I thought she, she brought a real heart to that role in a way that like you need. And again, it's a thankless part. Nobody's going to talk about her in the way they talk about um, Levine and uh, our favorite trader. <laughs> I mean, it's, you almost want to forgive him, you know, <laughs> Just like Jesus would. Um, Since the show is so minimalist, it has a lot of really uh, neat ways of portraying whatever it is it's trying to, like, show physically, like Judas taking the silver. Um, Whenever, you know, he takes it, he, like, puts his hands into the box and takes them out and uh, his hands are silver for the rest of the show. Mm. And it's just kind of like this mark he has on him that everybody sees. Yeah. And then after, uh, um, at the very end, when he comes back to sing the final number uh, from beyond the grave, he's got like this sort of silver, almost like blood painted on his neck from, you know, that kind of implies that, you know, he hung himself. That is how he dies in the gospels, right? He, um, it's, there are conflicting accounts in the gospels. One says he hung himself. The other says he dashed himself upon some rocks. And if you want my, one says he, he didn't die at all. If you want my Christian apologist answer for why those all reconcile, I can give Mm -hmm. it from when I was like 14, but we don't want to do that because I don't give a shit anymore. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I will say, uh, I think this production accidentally dramatizes my favorite extra biblical story, which is that on the the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday is when Jesus goes down to hell and like kicks some ass. Um, So the scene where Jesus (laughs) is Gandalf fighting the (laughs) Balrog, the scene where Jesus and Judas sit down and look at each other at the very end of this, it's just I imagine them meeting up in hell and being like, oh, shit. And like having like a really awkward coffee date in between (laughs) Jesus, like beating people up. He's got like his his like flaming sword and he sees Judas and he's like, oh, man, I forgot you'd be here. Sort of going along the lines of the silver thing that you're talking about. I did think it was interesting the way that when he's getting. Uh, his lashes they have like gold glitter like exploding everywhere on the stage oh yeah instead that of blood. Too. I, it was a weirdly like beautiful but also kind of terrifying thing to see like yeah yeah i feel like the gold um you know it was sort of like the thematic uh color of the romans yeah yeah, um, yeah. Like, like whenever the romans showed up you'd see like the sort of spqr palms um and they'd be made out of gold which, you know, I didn't notice the first time I saw it, but the second time I saw it, whenever Pontius shows up, he shows up with like these sort of palms, you know, mm-hmm. uh, surrounding him like a logo. And I was, uh, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, like Romans, I get it, you know, and it's like a a really cool way of showing like these are not Jews, these are Romans right. uh, without being like really overt about it, you know, without having the, with the rooster hat, you know, he can still wear his like, you know. Gerard Way leather pants and <laughs> you know what guy liner <laughs> which is which is how Pontius Pilate looks he's very like Chris Navarro in like 1998 how did you feel about Herod Herod's the other kind of major uh, that was okay to me I think Herod is always kind of okay you know people remember it and it's like you know cute and fun but it, it's always kind of a gimmick right mm-hmm. I feel like this show just wasn't very interested in that because it is just kind of a gimmick. So, you know, he shows up, he does his song and then he leaves 
And it's like, okay, back to the good stuff. Jesus yeah. and Judas. His costume was pretty cool, though. I think every time I see a production of a show that is not, you know, a touring Broadway production or on Broadway or in Chicago, you know, one of the major theater cities, I just want it to be directed 10% better than it needs to be. Hmm. But I don't want to go like 25% better because then it starts to feel really over-directed. And like, mm. this was like 24% better directed than it needed to. <laughs> if we had gone just a little bit further, I would have been like, what the fuck is happening right now the whole time? But as it was, I was only said that a couple times. I'm trying to think of like, what is a good example of Herod done really well? Because like, again, I, I liked Alice Cooper. I was going to say recording. Alice Cooper was the one. Yeah. yeah. But it, like, if you watch him on the sh- on the actual show, it's like... You know, he looks like he just took a couple Xanax and uh, I I think maybe it's just because the set was so small or he's old. You know, it just it works a lot better on the recording than it did on on the screen. It's those bags under his eyes that Alice Cooper had forever with the black makeup. Yeah. Always looking he's, tired. He's, he's just not moving. Like, he, yeah. you know, uh, and, you know, again, it's just, you know, he's he's had he's had a, you know, rough and tumble life. He's old. So maybe he he's can't like. And yeah, like in the movie, it was. Um, Man, that movie, I, I didn't watch the whole thing. I just was able to sort of pull YouTube clips and I could see mm-hmm. why. I think the idea of of using it as like a way to sort of visually show it as like a historical thing without them wearing athleisure wear and like literally being out in the desert and stuff was like a huge miss. Like, yeah, because it, it, it it's only halfway. Yeah. It's, it's like it'll that he'll be wearing like his historical G- Jesus get up, but also they're like riding around a school bus and Judas is wearing his like sp- you know, sparkly skin suit. And it's weird. Yeah. I think the, the material demands it to be fucking weird and insane because that's sort of like what the songs are itself. So like visually to try and do it, that's like, like half biblical looking. I thought was like, I was like, Oh, no wonder people yeah. didn't like this movie. Yeah. I, I, I feel like, you know, whenever they try to go historical, those are like the worst versions. Yeah. Um, like I, I liked the, I think it was 2012, the British version starring Mel C as um, Mary Magdalene and uh, mm-hmm. to mention as um, uh, Judas and some guys, Jesus, uh, like they had this very Banksy aesthetic because oh. this team you know, was 2012 uh, and, you know, had the Romans, you know, be very like kind of fashy police. It was almost kind of a, you know, futuristic aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it wasn't perfect. I didn't like it as much as this production, which was a lot less like referential of something specific. Yeah. But like, I still thought it worked. I was like, cause at least it's going for something, you know, it's like, yeah. Trying to reinterpret it through a lens of, you know, whatever, in this case, Banksy, I guess. <laughs> Why was it in the 70s that made people be like every musical, except for Fiddler on the Roof, it was just like every musical that was made there for a while was like, what if some hippies put on a musical in just the just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Superstar, Godspell, Hair, all that way. And they all kind of make sense because they're all like countercultural musicals. But it's like mm. all the directors had the same idea, even though all of them failed. They just were like, we're going to bring some hippies to the middle of nowhere yeah. and we're going to yeah. stage a musical. Because, you know, if there's one thing people like, it's hippies. <laughs> yeah. One, one thing that was like really popular in the 70s, hippies. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Probably some executives, of, like, yeah. Hipsters in two thousand and seven. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like Tom Hooper should do Cats again, but just like hippies in the desert. That should yeah. be his concept. <laughs> that, yeah, it's like you get a tour, you get a do over because I mean, in a way, was Cats not iconic? <laughs> that it was. People are still talking about it, referring to it. I watched. Uh, um, it was the first or second season of RuPaul's Drag Race UK. Mm-hmm. And they did a cats parody <laughs> called Rats. And it was clearly a parody of the movie, oh, not the show. Rats. Yeah. Clever, I know. I guess it's funny because like Hey Arnold did that twenty years ago. But <laughs> like that exact same parody where wherein uh Helga Pataki and her dad like go see this show and they're like, oh, I don't want to. And they can't get along. And like the episode ends with them watching it and like laughing over how bad the show is. And that's finally their bonding moment is hating this cat's parody called Rats. <laughs> Sounds like the origins of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jesus Christ Superstar, arguably Andrew Lloyd Webber's opus. He peaked at age 19. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Like I I probably like this more than any of the other ones that we've seen of his. I feel like it's fair to say that this is his most like widely 
beloved show when when she because like everything oh, yeah. else he's done is like kind of like controversial Reliant, or not that popular yeah. or like yeah. Starlight Express. I think this is his best show and also all but impossible to stage, which is like this mm. weird yeah. contradiction. Mm-hmm. You know, like Phantom is probably if you average those two things out, like the music is not as good as the music here, but it's easier to stage. So like mm-hmm. you can do good productions of it. Um, I mm-hmm. feel like that is the other one you might make a case for. But yeah, this I love this show. And I, I thought this was a really uh, this is the best production of it I've seen, which is not saying a lot, but still. Yeah. 24%. I, I think, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel like it is, you know, uh, independent of like being familiar with the show. I think it's a really good production. So uh, if you have the chance to see, I think there's like it's only got like two or three dates left. But if you're like in the Midwest or wherever they are right now, see the replacement Judas and. Yeah. Um, the Jesus who slaps. Just be wary of the FBI being in the audience with you, just in case. Yeah. Hopefully there are no more cast members that will be revealed to be insurrectionists. <laughs> if you can't trust Judas, I don't know. You can't trust What, what is this world coming to? <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, please let us know your thoughts on Jesus Christ Superstar. We are at Musical Spending with no G on Twitter and at Musical Spending with a G on Instagram. Uh, I am at Covetarian on Twitter and at Permafriends on Instagram. Uh, Emily, if you would like to plug anything, you go can. For it. Yeah, yeah, you can find me uh, on the internet at uh, my writing appears at Vox. Uh, I am also on Twitter at twitter.com slash EmilyVDW. Um, and uh, you can read my newsletter, which is EmilyVDW.letterdrop.com. I also have like six billion other things, but I'm not going <laughs> to talk about them except for my podcast, Arden. You should listen to it. All right, guys, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you at the next one. Bye.